right? He's about to ascend into heaven, and he looks at the disciples and promises them, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and it doesn't end there, and to the ends of the earth. Luke wrote the Luke Gospel, but also the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Well, I woke up this morning, and it was raining, and you know, raining mornings are the kind of morning where you just want to stay in bed, don't you? It can't rain on Pentecost Sunday, can it? But the rain won't put out the flame of the Spirit. But I started to think about, you know, how, how lucky some people are. They just get to sleep in. And, you know, during this pandemic, just put on your pajamas and get a cup of coffee and turn on your computer or your smartphone or your smart TV and worship with us. But I'm thinking of some people that, that still come to church and, and that's where they sleep. I was appointed to this... Uh, it won't happen today, right? I was appointed from Washington, D.C., and then I was appointed to this little place just north of Elkhorn, an unincorporated little place called Tibbetts. And we had active farming families, and, and those farmers, you know, they had been up for five or six hours already, long before the daylight came, working with the animals, and, and they would come to church. And I think the spouses were just so pleased that they actually came to church, they would look the other way when they started to sleep, right? Started to sleep. I'm sure it wasn't my sermons that put them to sleep, but they would sleep. And it reminded of a story about a man who went to church with his wife, and he just fell asleep, and he put his head back, and his mouth was open, and a fly flew right into his mouth, and he started to choke, and he shot up, and his dentures came flying out of his face and hit the hardwood floors, and it sounded like somebody emptying a box of chiclets, just and the wife was so embarrassed, and, and I'll tell you what, he never fell asleep in church again, never fell asleep in church again. No one would have ever fallen asleep in worship when I was in Jamaica, Hurricane Gilbert had come through and devastated the island, and we took a group of about 35-year-old high school and college students, and we went there to rebuild the churches, to rebuild the orphanages, and we held services every night. I was just a, a young man. I was 22, and I was, I was preaching, and those services were alive. They were loud, impossible to sleep. And when I made a point that they thought was a good point, they would shout at me, but they also seemed to all have tambourines. They would shake them and, yeah, 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 amen, amen. No one would have ever fallen asleep when I took an exchange on the eastern shore of Maryland, an all-African-American congregation, and I think they spoke more during the sermon than I did, and it turned what was a 15-minute sermon into 35-minute sermon. They just brought it out of me. Nope, and I'm positive. Not a single person who was in that room hiding from the authorities was able to fall asleep on the day of Pentecost when Pentecost came, too much, too much excitement. And so we have this text. It's a kind of a long text, and so I'm going to break it up a little bit. But it's from the second chapter of Acts, verses 1 through 21. And it begins by saying, when the day of Pentecost had come, and I'm already going to pause, nowhere in the Bible do we hear the word Easter. We have an account of Easter, but we don't hear it. 
We don't hear the word Christmas, although we have an account of Christmas, but Pentecost is something that actually existed because it was a Jewish festival, festival of the harvest. And it was one of the three festivals where the devout Jews were supposed to journey to Jerusalem to offer their worship. But just a wonderful uh, celebration of all the faithful people who had gathered there together. And so, They were all gathered together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them, nobody excluded, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability now, it's not just 11 or 12. We know that this, this, this first mass gathering, there were about 120 people who were kind of a part of the way had been following Jesus. And we know that it's going to grow every day. The Lord adds to the number every day as we move forward. But can you imagine what that must have sounded like? It sounded like when I was serving that church in D.C., there was a West African congregation that worshipped after we had, had finished worship. And I went into the, one of their services, and everyone in the congregation was walking around, kind of rocking and speaking in a language that I had never heard. It was, it was almost a commotion. And so sometimes on a Pentecost Sunday when the sanctuary is filled in non-pandemic years, I'll ask people to speak as loud as they can their childhood address on the count of three, and then when we do it, it, you can't even make out a single word, even though everyone's speaking in English. It's this, this wall of sound. We come back to the text. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? A lot of scholars say Galileans maybe had a different dialect. You know, they weren't from the big city of Jerusalem. They were were from a different part of the country. And we know that if you go to New England, they have a different sounding dialect. If you go to New Orleans, there's a different sounding dialect. If you go to Mississippi, a different sounding dialect. And so they were amazed. But now this next part. Just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever had to stand before the congregation, whether this one or a different one, and read the the scripture lessons for the day? All right, all right, and we hope to get back to that. This is a lay reader's nightmare uh, here, this next part. And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, (gasps) in our own language. We hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, ah, they're filled with new wine. Don't listen to them, they're, they're drunk. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. I wonder what time Peter usually got drunk, but evidently it wasn't nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, 
that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they will prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. And then let's read this last line of this text together. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There is so much good news even in that last line of these ancient, ancient words. And so there they were, all 120 of them. It had been 50 days since the crucifixion. It had been 10 days since Jesus ascended up into heaven, and they were there. They were afraid. They were afraid. They were hiding, afraid of their memories, afraid of the authorities that crucified Jesus, Afraid of their world, afraid of their own convictions, they were so confused. And suddenly, the spirit could no longer be contained by the limits of a hiding place, by the limits of their fear. Suddenly, the wind blows. Suddenly, the fire ignites. Suddenly, everything is turned on its head. The status quo has been disturbed. The world will never be the same. Because of this spirit, the wind, the mighty wind. We know in the creation story, uh, God took the dust from the earth and blew the ruach, the spirit, the breath of God into it to give life. And that's what God is doing here, blowing that ruach into the church, giving it life, giving it birth, that it may grow and mature and move out of that upper room, move way beyond just 120 people, and indeed move all around the world. As I read from one scholar this week, the spirit by which God created the world is the same spirit God sends at Pentecost to create a new community, the church. As created people, even today, God charges the aboriginal man and woman to to till and to keep the garden. These pre-scientific people didn't understand yet that the world was round. They, they believed the world was pretty small and, and pretty flat, which is why in Scripture we have so many accounts of the four corners of creation, the four corners of the earth. And because of this, I'm going to give us not three points. We all know a proper sermon should have three points, right? I'm going to give you a bonus, mega bonus point. We're going to have four points today. No sleeping. I saw a fly. I don't want you to lose your teeth. Point number one. This Holy Spirit, this coming of Pentecost, lets us know that God is alive and God is present. Those 120 must have felt alone. Before Jesus burst on the scene, they would have spent years and years, generations, following rules that a God from up high, unaccessible, had brought down. And then for three years, there was Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh, and they were able to walk with God, but now he's dead, now he's risen, now he's ascended, he's gone. Is God still alive? Has God abandoned us? But when the Holy Spirit comes, 
everything changes. God is here. God is everywhere. And the crowd to whom Peter was preaching were told they caught the Spirit and they returned to their homes, they returned to the other lands with this Spirit, with an understanding of the good news, with the understanding that God has not abandoned us, that we are not alone, we are not abandoned, we have an advocate and a counselor just as Jesus promised would come. No, we're not alone. The second point I have for us is this Holy Spirit makes us one. In Genesis, there is a story of the Tower of Babel. Maybe you remember this story. There was just one language, and then the people started to be naughty, and so God mixed up their languages. That was a way for the ancient people to explain how there was different languages from different parts of the world. No longer was there unity in speech, unity in thought. But now suddenly, on this day, the day of a Jewish festival of the harvest, there is a great harvest of the souls because they all hear the same language clearly, clearly. And even to this day, this present day with different skin tones and different customs and different languages, we need to understand that we are still one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And there are so many things that that seem to tear us apart, not just now, it's always been the case. Politics tears us apart, race tears us apart, theology tears us apart, even our favorite sporting teams tear us apart. Those families where one spouse is a Bears fan, the other is a Packers fan, that, that, that's hard. There's so much that tears us apart. But what we see on this day is God's work to bring us all back together as one prophetic community with an eye and a love for justice and for the other. A beautiful community of men and women, young and old, in that age, slave or free, and in every age, any sort of differences. The Holy Spirit, friends, breaks down the barriers that we erect. Let me say that one more time. The Holy Spirit breaks down the barriers that we erect. Point number three. Because of the Holy Spirit, we have a power that we don't otherwise have. We know that all things are done through the Spirit, but how powerful is the Spirit? We don't have to look any further than the disciples themselves. Before the Spirit came, they were dense, they were timid. They were bigoted. They were pretty clueless, actually. They were willing to flee at any sight of any kind of trouble. But once the Holy Spirit comes, they're suddenly fearless. Their timidity is turned into courage. They healed the sick. They cast out demons. They were willing to go to jail on account of the good news that they were sharing. And when they were all together in jail singing songs of praise, the walls came down. Friends, we too have that same source of power because the Holy Spirit is still God's presence with us each and every day. Now, I wear a watch, and my daughters, uh, they don't carry cash anymore. No millennial carries cash. And, and they say, well, why do I need a watch? I have a cell phone that keeps perfect time, and it changes every time I go to a new uh, time zone. And so I wear this watch. It was given to me when I received my doctorate, but I, I really don't use it to tell time so much. It's 
more just a piece of jewelry. But I heard this story of a woman who, who had a beautiful watch and it stopped working. And so she tried to tap it and she tried to clean it off and she didn't know if this button was actually going to wind it or not. And she was frustrated. She did everything that she could just looking at the watch. She took it into the jeweler. The jeweler smiled, opened it up, and put a new battery inside. Friends, we like that women, women sometimes are just so focused on the external that we fail to remember that the power of the Holy Spirit lives in us and then it lives through us so that we really can be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to use the power that God has given us through this Holy Spirit. We need to partner with God We are called to be God's people in ministry. And the Holy Spirit makes that possible. The nudges, the whispers, the absolute sureness of our faith, the blessed assurance. I was a student pastor when I was in D.C., which meant I had this little congregation and I'd go to seminary, and we would meet with other student pastors. We would do all of our work, and then I'd go back to the church, and I'd give the Sunday sermon. I would uh, teach a class once a week. I did weddings and, and funerals, and of course. But there was a story of three student pastors who were certain that the seminary wasn't equipping them to trust the power of the Holy Spirit enough, that if they just prayed for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would give them the wisdom that they need to give a great sermon And so on a Monday, they all took a vow that that following Sunday, they weren't going to write a sermon at all. They were going to get up there in front of the congregation, stand in the pulpit, and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me and speak through me. Well, when they gathered the next Monday, the three got together again around the lunch table, and the first pastor said, well, I did it. I I didn't write anything down. I trusted the power of the Holy Spirit. I got up there in the pulpit. I looked at the congregation. I prayed that the Spirit would speak to me. And I got nothing. And so it was an epic fail kind of a sermon. It was terrible. The second guy said, I did the exact same thing. I I didn't write the sermon. I went up there, looked at the congregation, prayed for the Holy Spirit to speak to me. And I too had nothing. I just kind of fumbled my way through for about 10 minutes. It was like getting in a plane and never getting off the ground. Just, Just terrible. And they looked at the third and he was smiling. And they said, well, friend, did you write your sermon ahead of time? He said, no. Did you get up in the pulpit? Yes. Did you pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and through you? He said, yes. Did you hear from the Holy Spirit? He said, oh, yes. What did the Holy Spirit say? The Holy Spirit said, don't ever come up here unprepared again. (laughs) We need to partner with the Holy Spirit. Yes, we need to be faithful in our disciplines. We need to be faithful in the ways in which we promote justice, the way we try and look out for the least, the last, the lonely, the left over, the left out. But we need to do our work too, and the Spirit is willing to power us through. And that's great good news. And so that's three points. I think you're all still awake, that's good. But I promised you a fourth mega point, a bonus point, and and it is this. Because of this Holy Spirit, we see that God's activity, the activity of God, cannot be limited. It is not limited to our comprehension or even to our comfort. 
And so let's first look at comprehension. What does that mean, not limited to our comprehension? I read a story this week by a man named Harold F. Bermel, and he tells a story of driving through the Pennsylvania Dutch uh, co- uh, country. It's, it's an Amish, and we have Amish communities within our own state. And he was there with his daughter and his seven-year-old grandson. And as they were driving through the country, they just kept passing uh, cart after cart, horse-drawn cart, you know, those, those that the Amish uh, used to get from point A to point B. And the little boy said, why don't they just drive a car? Why don't they believe in, in automobiles? And, and the, the, sister, the, mother, the mother said, well, they just don't believe in automobiles. Boy sat silent for a little time and said, but can't they see the automobiles? What do you mean they don't believe in them? They're right there. And so, friends, so it is with us from time to time. You know, if we see something with our own eyes, we believe it. We, we, we know that seeing is believing. But that's why so many people outside the church think Christians are foolish because we worship a God we cannot see. And they don't trust us when we, see, when we say, I feel God, or I see the love of God at play. They said, you've never seen God. And so I got to thinking about that, and I, I did some more research. And as I'm looking out at you, a lot of you are wearing glasses. And glasses, you know, they get dirty from time to time, don't they? They get dirty. And sometimes they're so smudged, it's, it's hard to see through them. So what do you do to clean those glasses if you don't have one of those wipes? You take them off your face, you turn them around, and you on them. On them. You breathe on them. And then that condensation comes, and you can wipe it off with your shirt or a napkin. And so, friends, so too is it with our faith. This breath of God, Jesus breathed on us the breath of God. The Holy Spirit is the wind, the the, the breath of God to give us this power. And yes, there are things that we cannot comprehend. We see now only dimly. But as people of faith, we continue to walk forward, even if not fully comprehending. And if we're really going to do that, if we really are going to continue to walk forward in this, we need to realize that we're probably going to be taken out of our comfort zones from time to time. We're going to have to leave the safety of our homes. We're going to have to leave the safety of a sanctuary inside a church. This Holy Spirit is God's presence with us. It is a unifying presence. It is an empowering presence. And it gives us the courage to go beyond our comfort places, maybe even away from our familiar languages. But the language of God is the language of love. And so it gives us courage, even when we're uncomfortable. The Apostle Paul, who certainly had courage, had so much danger that he encountered all throughout his ministry. He wrote to a young pastor, Timothy, and said, God did not give us a spirit of cowardice. The translations say, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but rather God gave us a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. And that's what we celebrate on this, the birthday of the church, the day of Pentecost, where we witness to the love and the power of the Holy Spirit, which lets us know God is alive and present, present, 
which lets us know that we are all one and that God gives us power and that power is going to be there even if we can't comprehend or if we're taken out of our comfort zones. May God bless all of you as you are the hands and feet working from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.